Welcome to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast, a podcast that is a part of the Ministry of Tactical Faith. Uh, we encourage you to check out the website tacticalfaith.com. Uh, you can read blogs from both uh, myself and Joel. And I am Travis. I'm Joel. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a man that we've met. We've mentioned his name in this podcast several times, but we haven't really spent any time talking about him. And we decided to go ahead and jump in. He's arguably the most important philosopher of the 20th century. Um, at least I think a lot of people might say so. He might be the most, one of the most uh, not understood philosophers and one of the oddest philosophers of the 20th yes. century as well. Yes. Um, his name is Ludwig Wittgenstein. And uh, Joel is, uh, I wouldn't say you're an expert on Wittgenstein, but you you know quite a, you've done a lot of work on Wittgenstein. And, uh, and Joel is going to be talking about uh, Wittgenstein and the idea of religious belief. And that might sound really dull, but I guarantee you it's more interesting than you might think. Um, so uh, we're going to be talking about Wittgenstein and religious belief. Uh, and here we go. Okay. Well, before you turn off the podcast or skip to the next episode, let me just get, lead with a quote from Wittgenstein and uh, make you wonder why in the world we're going to talk about what this guy thinks about religious belief. Um, in a journal of his in 1949, he said, if Christianity is true, then all the philosophy written about it is false. So, if I mean, what a way to start off with. You know, we, you know, given that this is, you know, we're part of an apologetics organization, of course we think Christianity is true. But Travis and I are also philosophers. So, if Wittgenstein's right, if Christianity is true, then all the philosophy written about it is false, then. Travis and I have basically been saying a whole bunch of false things. I mean, this whole podcast is a bunch of false things. It's, it's all lies. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what I was told when I went to go study philosophy too. Um, no, but this is that's a really interesting point. And, and Wittgenstein has um, Wittgenstein has a, a lot that's interesting about him, both in terms of his philosophy and his life. Uh, but this is what we're going to be examining here: uh, this idea of what, in some ways, what is philosophy? What does it mean to believe, and what is the nature, particularly of religious belief, and how is it different than a belief that, say, my car is gray? But I want to start after that quote. I want to start a little bit about just t talking a little bit about Wittgenstein's life. So, <laughs> I, uh, just because the guy is crazy, I think he was a fan of poker, right, or at least a poker. Um, he had a, he had a, an interesting relationship with Bertrand Russell, a very famous atheist philosopher. Um, and I just, I want to run through this just because I think, think people might find it interesting. So I don't know how much you just have off the top of your head, but, uh, Wittgenstein was born in Austria, right. And he was right. born to one of the richest men in Europe at the time. Um, right. he was, uh, considered kind of the equivalent of a European Rothschild or, or, uh, no, a European, uh, he was friends with He's considered the the European equivalent or the Austrian equivalent of Andrew Carnegie is what it actually says in his Wikipedia. And he was yeah. friends with Andrew Carnegie and so on and so forth. Um, uh, now, Wittgenstein had several brothers and sisters. Yes. So, well, he was born in 1889. 1889 is an important date for me because that's the day, that's the year that Nietzsche went insane. Um, fully, went fully insane. Um, but he was born in 1889. 
to one of the richest men in Europe. And that means he had a really good life from what I understand. Is that right? Well, fi- financially, you know, his, materially his, his needs were taken care of. Um, but he, he struggled to, to really uh, fit in, I guess you would say he was, he was always asking sort of bigger questions. Um, there's, um, you know, he, he, he was exploring different ideas. Um, he finally kind of settled on engineering and that was what took him to the UK. And while he was studying engineering, he became interested in philosophy of mathematics and that's where he got connected with Bertrand Russell. Mm-hmm. And he would argue with Russell. Russell had written this huge book called Principia Mathematica that was kind of the the final word at the time on philosophy of mathematics. And Wittgenstein among uh, was one of the the people who uh, asked Russell some questions that he that his his massive book couldn't handle couldn't answer and so he was constantly revising it uh in light of his conversations with with Wittgenstein and others um while this was going on Wittgenstein started to get interested in philosophy not so much in in engineering but he still finished his engineering but in the process he started writing his own philosophical book that became the Tractatus now um while this was happening um he happened to be he, he happened to go home back to Austria and world war one broke out, broke out and then he couldn't go back to, to England. So he ended up being a soldier in world war one and he fought the commanders because they looked at him and said, you're an engineer. We're going to keep you back and have you work on working on, you know, engineering kind of things. And he said, no, I want to be on the front lines, which when you think about it, that's the opposite of the way it typically goes. You know, we we we, we hear stories about people who uh, went to college, you know, during Vietnam just so they could avoid the draft, or you know, people who use their their wealth to get out of, of serving in the military. But Wittgenstein did neither, and and insisted on being on the front lines in part because um, he kind of wanted to face death, you know, up up close and personal. Um, but while, while he was, was on the front lines, he, he wrote, um, the Tractatus, Tractatus Philosophico Logico. Um, and, uh, he, uh, was corresponding with Bertrand Russell throughout this process. And when he finished, he sent it to Russell and said, I've answered all the questions of philosophy. You can do whatever you want with this. And, uh, when he was actually captured, as a POW during the war and then eventually released. And at the end of the war, instead of trying to, you know, capitalize on this book that was gaining steam as one of the most popular philosophical works of its day, he said he wanted to go make a difference. And so he went into the mountains of Austria to teach school children. Well, that didn't go very well. Right. Uh, Wittgenstein being so bright, he had trouble explaining things to people who weren't as bright as him. And so he was known for uh, being rather harsh with students if they didn't get it. But if they got it, he, he, he encouraged their parents to send them to boarding schools so they could capitalize on the intelligence. But remember, this is the mountains of Austria. And when you're in the mountains of Austria, the, your children are kind of your 
hired hands in a, in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. And so Wittgenstein was basically telling the parents, you need to get rid of your hired hands and, and pay more money so they can go learn. And that didn't go over well with the parents. Um, so, you know, parents on both, you know, parents of the bright kids and the, the not as bright kids, no one really liked Wittgenstein as a teacher, as hard as he was trying. And, and, and understand while this is going on, the Tractatus becomes the work of the day. Everyone who's doing philosophy in Europe is reading the Tractatus mm-hmm. because Russell went ahead and got it published and it became a huge deal. And so um, Russell um, came to Austria with the encouragement of uh, the, the, the families in the, that Wittgenstein was working with and said, <laughs> why don't you come back to, to the UK We'll let you count the Tractatus as your dissertation, get you your, your doctorate, and then you can teach philosophy. And Wittgenstein eventually agreed to, to go do this. And, um, and he did not publish another book in his lifetime. Uh, everything that we have from Wittgenstein from that point on was published uh, posthumously. Now, when World War II broke out, Wittgenstein was in the UK and stayed in the UK. But Wittgenstein's uh, family was still in Austria. And Wittgenstein's father, um, or his grandfather was Jewish, but his father converted to Christianity because that was what you did when you were uh, in the public eye and, and well-connected. And But because of the, the Jewish heritage, they were going to be rounded up and sent to concentration camps. And... Uh, the wealth that was left to uh, Wittgenstein and his siblings was basically uh, spent to get his family out. Um, and so, you know, Travis mentioned that his father was one of the richest men in Europe. Well, mm-hmm. his father during World War One had invested in U.S. war bonds. And so when his father died at the end of World War One. It went from be- his father went from being one of the richest men in Europe to each of his children being one of the richest people in Europe. Um, he, you know, he he would have been you know sort of like a Warren Buffett today or or Bill Gates as far as the amount of wealth that he himself had, um, and then he passed it to his children. But all, like I said, most of that was gone was was exploited by the Nazis in order to allow Wittgenstein's family to escape uh, from World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um. Wittgenstein continued to write during his career. Um, he put together what became known as the Philosophical Investigations, and um, he shared it with some of his friends, some of his prize students, with the understanding it would not be published till after he died because he did not feel like trying to explain it because he recognized that you'd either get it or you wouldn't get it. And if you didn't get it, trying to argue you into getting it was going to be a futile uh, process. That's pretty interesting, right there, too. <laughs> which, which is very consistent with what Phil, with what Wittgenstein says right. throughout his his work, as far as uh, what does lang- what meaning do we get from language? Um, what do how, how can we communicate things? Um, which I, I I think that sets us up to start moving into what does Wittgenstein have in mind when he talks about religious belief? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, so let's get into that. So uh, w- we've been talking about um, 
that uh, a variety of things that are related to not the way that we come to know things and how apologetics or philosophy or any kind of argumentation might get us to some point where so if I if I come across an atheist or something and I'm I try to convince that atheist that there is a God that this God is the God of the Bible and so on and so forth um, we would normally think that then this leads to perhaps a conversion experience or something but I think we all recognize that there's some sort of weakness with that understanding of religious belief um, it's not just the affirmation that there is a God and so I think Wittgenstein makes makes a pretty good point about this. Uh, maybe we can't follow him all the way, but let's, let's look at it. So what is, what is a religious belief to Wittgenstein? A religious belief is at its core, something that changes the way you live your life. Um, it changes uh, the way you see the world such that uh, when you hold this belief, it results in actual change. Um, you live differently than you would if you did not hold this religious belief. Um, you know, so like, for example, uh, well, he, he says that this is that a religious belief is something that you kind of have to show what it means rather than try to explain it. Um, so one, one way to think of it is uh, what does your life look like you know what what kind of things do you do how do you regulate your life because you hold this belief so you know you might forego certain pleasures um and you know when asked why you do it you appeal to that belief or you um might do certain things that other people don't do and again you point to that belief as why um you know it's 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 not just that you do certain rituals um but that you are um changing the way that you see the world um that you 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 think of things differently you approach the world differently um it's it's a it's a different approach okay so let me let me let me interject there and ask you a question so you said and i know maybe you're probably going to get this in a little bit but you said this isn't something you can necessarily argue for but it's rather something that you show uh, it's not something that you can really quite say you have to you have to show it um so uh, can, can we can we think of an example or can, can we kind of explain how that works? Um, so uh, you well, go to or maybe you, go, if you have an example. Go for it. Well, be, be, before we get to an example, I think maybe one thing that is helpful is to distinguish between or to say that there's a difference between having a religious belief and having a belief about religion. OK, that's good. That's um, good. So, holding to the statement, um, you know, Jesus is the resurrected Christ, as a, 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 if you say yes, I believe that to be true, but what does that mean for your life? Well, you just kind of keep doing what you're doing. Wittgenstein would say that you have a belief about religion that's not a religious belief, because the for it to be a religious belief, for it to be about the the part of us that is is religious, the, that that religious core of the human person, um, it has to change the way you live your life. And if it so doesn't do that, it, it, it's it can be a, all kind. It can be another kind of belief. It's just not a religious belief. 
So we we could almost compare this to to the book of James, which is always troubling to to the uh, to those of us who live post uh, Martin Luther. Uh, faith without deeds is dead, right? right? Now, if we understand deeds as something like works of the law or something, maybe that's a little more complicated. But when you you're saying something like there's no faith where it doesn't transform your life, right? That's that seems to be what Wittgenstein is saying, right? Right, and and and. The way that it's going to look is going to be, um, it might. I mean, it it, it can look different all, in all kinds of different ways, and you know, and, and in fact, if we take what Wittgenstein is saying seriously, then we can have religious beliefs about things that are typically considered irreligious or okay. irreligious. Right. So, you know, when you you know. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on, you know, football fans for a minute, but, right, you know, so. <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of people who, um, in the fall of every year, their life becomes ordered around making sure that they watch their team play. Mm-hmm. If it's college team every Saturday or professional team every Sunday. Um, and what are they doing? You know, they, they, they have rituals that they perform. They, you know, in, in the way of a, um, in, uh, you know, of tailgating before the game or, you know, making certain foods before the game. And then, you know, that they, uh, I know people who have to sit in a certain spot when they watch the game or else something could be, be bad. Um, right. You know, that, there's all these rituals that shape their life that are based on the way that they, they uh, cheer for a particular team. Right. And, and, and there's things that take on new meaning, like a particular shirt, a particular seat, a particular kind of food, so on and so forth. These, these particular times, they all take on new meaning and the world begins to revolve around them in a lot of ways. So what are some things within the Christian worldview? Let's say, can you think of an example of something that is, uh, maybe mundane to the rest of the world that Christians might view a different way? Can you think of an example for, for us? What is something that like a football play, like football fans, something that's, that's transformed in the way that we view the world that may look a little bit weird to the outsiders, the outsiders. Not talking I mean, about the book. You know, as, as someone who's been greatly influenced by Dallas Willard, you look at the the spiritual disciplines that, that he talks about. You know the idea of fasting, the idea of of prayer, the idea of um, instead of allowing our bodily desires to rule over us, to for our spirit to rule over our bodies mm-hmm. um, and the things that we're willing to do, or or you know among you know much of the Christian tradition, the the Lenten practice of of fasting during Lent. Um, and, right. and fe- feasting on the on the Sundays, um, you know these are things that you know a lot of people look at. You know Christians who do that and think that it's 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 about you know c- adhering to a certain you know law or you know obeying the rules, and, and that's not what these are about. These are about changing the way we see the world. Um, yeah. About- so- 
Well, let's 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 talk about because there, there's a there's a key element here that we got to in Kuhn that that shows up, of course, in the Tractatus, and that's the idea that a, a lot of us. That's the idea that value lies at, the, at kind of the ground of all of this stuff. That that the values are the fundamental way that we interact with the world around us, right? So we so oftentimes, and again, this is this is an idea that's come up over and over again. We believe that if we can just get that Christians and people of other faiths or people of no faith, I guess, if there is such a thing, um, we exist in the same world with the same collection of basic facts. So we have all these things, all these particular things in agreement. We just, they just need to add one more thing or subtract a little piece and add another piece. Um, so for an atheist, what they need to do is add the piece that uh, God exists, that Jesus is the only son of God, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Um, uh, for someone who's a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever, they need to switch out their metaphysics and replace them more with Christian metaphysics um, or theolo theology and so forth. According to Wittgenstein, that's not quite right. Right. So right. if that's the case, what we need to do is argue from the furniture that exists in the world that we all agree on, that there's actually another piece of furniture out there or there's another room or something like that. Wittgenstein is saying that's not how this works. Religious belief doesn't function that way, um, which is comparable to Kuhn's claim about uh, scientific revolutions that it's not like we added an, to get from Newton to Einstein. You didn't add another piece of furniture. Newton's wrong. Right. I mean, he's just wrong about the world. This is a completely different perspective on the world. So, so, uh, but I don't know. Can you, can you explain a little bit more? Like why does Wittgenstein think that that's the case or Maybe maybe uh, expand on that a little bit because I think a lot of people might be sort of tracking and saying, "Okay, I can kind of understand that," but why do we have to have that? So Wittgenstein, in um, philosophical investigations, talks about these different forms of life and the language games that you play in your different forms of life. Um, so you think about your job, and when you go to your job, you know that. There's a certain language that you speak there, and there's terms that you use there that if you came home and said those terms to your spouse, the spouse was might look at you kind of weird unless your spouse has gotten used to those those terms. Right. Um, th there's you enter this this mindset that is shared with people who are doing that with you, but if someone who's not a part of that is not going to understand what's going on, and the way that those beliefs influence your life um, are going to be reflected most clearly in in that aspect of things in, in your job. Um, however, that's not the whole of your life. When you come home, you hang out with your kids, you probably use different language. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you have to think in, a diff in different terms. Um, you're often trying to take complex ideas and make them more accessible for children. If you have young children, um, you're, you, you adapt to a different way and, and, and you know when you're playing which game, uh, when you, when you're in which form of life. And so, and, and, you know, the, the rules of, of each of those games look, or those, those parts of life look a little different as far as what are your expectations? What are you, 
Um, how are you expected to act? What's okay? What's not okay? All those kinds of things. And Wittgenstein wants to say this religious part of us doesn't adhere nicely to any of the typical ways that we think about our kinds of beliefs, whether, you know, as a job, you know, that's religion doesn't fit in there. It doesn't really fit in, you know, automatically with, with how we relate to our family or friends. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't relate to science. I mean, he, he, he makes it very clear that he, he, or he sees a clear distinction between science and religion. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that they're at odds with each other, but they're, they're doing two very different things. And so, um, and we can talk more about that in a, in a bit. But for Wittgenstein, he wants to say there are these legitimate beliefs that are important beliefs that aren't just reducible to um, mere assent. You know, say, yeah, I think that to be true. Um, mm-hmm. They do more than that in your life. They they change the way you see the world. They change the way you live. They they are the things that guide what's most important in a lot of things. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I've, you know, that one way to maybe try and help explain it is, you know, if, if someone held a, you know, you know, was threatening death to me, um, unless I said two plus two equals five, I will tell that person two plus two equals five. But if you ask, you know, if it's something like, you know, a denial of Jesus, that's going to be much more difficult because that belief is so at the core of how I see the world and who I am, that the denial of that is, is akin to a a rejection of all of, of of all that I understand and, and, and how I see the world. Right. And somebody who were, if, if somebody were just a historian that had no religious conviction and somebody held a gun and said, say that Jesus didn't exist, or, or deny Jesus, the person would be, it'd be the same as you saying two plus two equals five. It's not, yeah, I mean, I'm denying a fact that, that there was actually a guy running around named Jesus, but d- that didn't really matter to me, right? right? So that's how the historian, that's how the historian would approach it. And so just the very, the very experience of that. I wonder, I wonder if there's, if this kind of experience of, of the kind of transformation of the world takes place in a lot of stories. So you think of something, for example, like Harry Potter, um, for, for a person being, I mean, you think what happens to Harry Potter himself, right? It's particularly in the first book. What, what gets introduced is there's, you know, there's this kid, you know, living under the stairs. Um, the world is a mundane and, and kind of unforgiving, unkind place. It's, you know, he's being left out, being mistreated, so on and so forth. He's a, no, he's a nobody in a mundane world um, with, you know, his very mean aunt and uncle. And then suddenly, you know, he starts getting these letters and, and there's that, there's that famous moment in the, in the first movie, I guess it's in the book too, but who cares about books these days, uh, where, where Hagrid, you know, this giant of a man comes in and and tells, tells Harry that he's a wizard and suddenly the whole world is different. And the, the fun about uh, the big part of the fun about that first book or the first movie, depending on what you're talking about is you start getting introduced to a world and you realize the world is so much richer and complex, more complex than you think. And you, and the world it's, it, it, yes, it, it adds something to the world, but it doesn't just add something to the world. It sort of transforms the entire world. Um, the world is far bigger than you ever thought it was uh, far more 
interesting than you ever thought it was. Um, which maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Christianity is sort of like that. Maybe that's not a great analogy, but maybe it's comparable. Um, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. I mean, that, the Chronicles and Narnia stories are the same sort of thing. You know, they get pulled into this, you know, pulled into this other world, Narnia, and they realize things are much more than we thought they were. Um, and that, that can change the way you live your life. Um, but what, so what does this mean in terms of trying to say, share a religious belief? So we've talked about the distinct, you've talked about the distinction between belief about, which would be like the historian denying Jesus. He has right. beliefs about Jesus, but he doesn't believe in Jesus, which is a different sort of thing. Um, and Wittgenstein says this transforms your life. And that, that right there, by the way, is would make a great sermon to go into um, because because uh, and we can talk about everything from theological issues and so on and so forth to this. But I think there's a, there's a serious problem in Christianity where we don't know. It's not really clear why we should grow into holiness, what was classically called, you know, something sanctification, right? Sanctification and salvation don't seem to be tied together in any kind of organic way. You get saved and then. It's, it's sanctification is an ob it's good, but it's kind of an optional. It doesn't really make any difference. Right. Um, but, and then sanctification is thought of in terms of how much fun am I willing to give up in this life to get what in the next? I mean, I don't even know what I'm getting later on. And that is, so actually let's talk about that for a minute. Cause I think this, this will bring out a little bit of what Vickens trying to say. Vickens trying to say, if I think Christianity is, well, let me tell let me tell another story from the Christian philosopher Peter Van Inwagen. Okay. He talks about the problem of evil, and he and he tells the story, and this is actually from Jesus. He tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and we're probably everyone's probably familiar with the story. But the rich man of rich man and Lazarus, there's you know the rich man there, and then there's Lazarus uh, who's suffering tremendously. Lazarus dies, and he's taken to Abraham's side, whatever that means. Uh, the rich man dies, and he's in torment in some way. And rich, you know, rich man asks for water and so on and so forth. He can't get it. And then the rich man says, hey, could you please send send someone to my brother, send Lazarus to my brothers and and warn them of what's to come. And, and Abraham gives that weird response where he says, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't even believe someone who rose from the dead. Um, and we might my initial response in reading that story is. Abraham, you're out of your mind. If somebody rose from the dead, and obviously there's a reference to Jesus here, right? But because uh, he rose from the dead and still people don't believe. Uh, but if somebody came back from the dead and said to me, hey, hey, such and such is going to happen. If you don't get your life straightened out, you're going to end up in this place of torment like me. Of course they would believe, right? Well, I think Abraham is what, what's being pointed to in the story is, yes, they might believe some stuff about the world, but their right. approach to their approach to it is the same as before. Their idea they've been living selfish lives where their goal is to say uh make the right kind of investments so that their outcome in the end is the best possible and it's all focused on themselves. Well then you just all they're doing is adding to the series of facts that they have about the world is that there's a God and God's gonna hold you account. So they so now they approach life and I better do some good deeds so that so that my you know re my retirement in the next life if we can use that phrase is as good as it could possibly be 
But that's not belief. That's not religious belief. That's a belief about religion. Right. That's not and it's utilizing it for selfish – I mean it's still a selfish belief. Right. It's just a selfish belief that's pointed uh, at a religious matter rather than at – a and then something that is outside of what typically is yeah. considered religious. Yeah, and so, and so that, that story is not about them believing facts. It's about them if, – if they are not – realigned in their view of the world by the values presented through Moses and the prophets, someone coming back from the dead is not going to realign them. Right. It's going to, it's, they're going to, they're going to have the same values. They'll just have new information that they'll twist. Right. Just like if somebody knows something very personal about you, that doesn't make them love you. Right. They may use that to hurt you or they may use it to help you. What matters is that they love you. Right. Right. And then then they'll use it to encourage. So it's the value direction that we're really talking about in terms of, I think, in that story. And maybe that's what Wittgenstein's getting at, even though he's not a biblical scholar. <laughs> by, by, by no means. Um, right. although, although he says all kinds of things that I don't know what to do with, given that he he himself stated that he was not a Christian. But, man, he held a lot of things that that were May, looked a lot like a Christian, um, right. which right. we, which, um, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, you know, past, you know, well past the half hour mark. And, right. uh, so, uh, let me, let me just kind of wrap things up and set us up for, for the next episode. Cause we're going to, uh, dive back into Wittgenstein and, and talk about some of these things like, so how do we communicate religious beliefs, um, especially to people who, aren't playing a the aren't don't have a form of their life that that is religious or uh, aren't playing that language game um mm-hmm. how do we how do we communicate um what wh- why does Wittgenstein make a, a um, clear distinction between science and religion and say they're doing two different things how how is he thinking about that um what are there some other uh applications for apologetics that we can draw from Wittgenstein uh, because mm-hmm. when when we see religious belief as not just being about something but about change but about the the way we understand the the world the way the world works um, what we value in the world when religious belief is understood as that it changes a lot of a lot of things especially when you start thinking about about apologetics um and so um we'll leave this we'll leave that these open questions for you to encourage you to to uh listen to the next episode um but we thank you for tuning in this week uh this has been joel and this is travis thank you guys thank you for listening to the wondering toward wisdom podcast a part of the tactical faith podcast network Please check out our page at tacticalfaith.com for our TF Radio podcast, blog, and news about local events. If you'd like to partner with us, please pray for us, share us with your friends, leave comments, and consider donating by going to the Donate tab on our page. If you're interested in having an event in your area in Alabama, please let us know. We'd love to partner with you. Thank you.